Let's give this wonderful choir a rousing applause and praise God for them. Turn to the first psalm, please. Psalm 1. The word of the Lord says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows, I said, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Say these words after me, how, how? to be happy. Yeah. Please be seated. <clears throat> now happiness is something that everybody wants. Everybody wants to be happy. But not everybody agrees regarding what happiness is. And not everybody agrees about how happiness can be obtained. To some, happiness is thought of as the satisfaction of their physical needs. If they're healthy, if they have ample food, housing, clothing, comfort, physical pleasure, sexual pleasure, rest, then they believe that that's all there is to happiness. To others, happiness is all of this with the added dimension of wealth and luxury and the ability to obtain all of one's earthly, material, physical, and aesthetic desires and aspirations. Happiness for them is not only having your basic needs provided for, but for those things in the physical and material world which you might desire or dream of having, then that's happiness when you have all you desire. But man's desires frequently exceed his physical needs and as a matter of fact, if desire is given a free reign, desire can reach tremendous and overwhelming proportions. For many define happiness then 
as the satisfaction of desires. And how many of you know every time you satisfy one level of desire, you move to another level of desire. There's always something more to desire. Always something more to want. And since these two definitions correspond with the definitions accepted by so many people, we've got to ask whether these are true definitions. And if they are true definitions, are they attainable? Are they possible in this world? And we must conclude that they are not true, are realistic definitions of happiness because in the case of the first, so many whose physical needs are totally provided are not happy. Some of you feel unhappiness and depression in your heart and in your mind today. And were you to take an inventory of the things you need physically, food, clothes, housing, accommodation, so on, you would have to say that I'm provided for in the, need, in the area of my physical needs, but I'm still not happy. So this cannot be a true definition of happiness because it does not apply in all cases or even in most cases. But even if it were true, so many of its elements are undependable and flighty that great multitudes of people would never experience this kind of happiness. There are multitudes of people on the earth who don't have enough food to eat. There are multitudes of people on the earth who don't have ample housing. There are multitudes of people who do not have their physical desires provided for. And few, if any, people in the world experience the fulfillment of their needs all of their lives. But then in the case of the second, where happiness is all this plus the fulfillment of every desire and every yearning and luxury is on every side where happiness is defined in this way, we must conclude that neither is this true or realistic. It's not true because there are those who have everything money can buy and every earthly thing that could be desired and still they are not happy. Millionaires are blowing their brains out. Millionaires are getting hooked on drugs trying to find a higher level of satisfaction than their money can provide and they're overdosing and killing themselves. But if this was happiness, it would be unavailable to so many. For many people have difficulty obtaining their needs, let alone obtaining their desires. And then one earthly desire fulfilled always creates another desire. And when desire governs and is fed, it becomes a giant whose appetite is never, never, ever satisfied. I mean, there's always something more to want. And there are some people who are never happy as long as there's something that they want that they don't have. You wanted a car and you got a Volkswagen. Then you wanted an Oldsmobile. Then you wanted a Cadillac. Then you wanted a Mercedes. Then you wanted a Bentley. Then you wanted a Rolls Royce. Then you got to that level where you wanted a private jet. <laughs> There's always something more to be desired. Always something more that one can want. Proverbs 27 and 20 says, Hell and destruction are never full. 
So the eyes of men are never satisfied. The eyes of men are never satisfied. The writer of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 10 said, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. And this is Solomon speaking, the king. He could get anything he wanted. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on all the labor that I'd labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. Oh, we think that rich folk have it made and that they have it all together. But listen, when you get it, you're worried about trying to keep it. Wearing yourself out trying to keep track of it. Worried about all the conflicts and drama that exists in your family and in your organization, in your life, and always something to keep you awake at night. What good is a million dollars if you can't sleep at night? Well, let's consider a third definition. And that definition is this. Happiness is a predominant state and sense of well-being. Would you say that after me, please? Happiness is a predominant state and sense of well-being. Now listen, when things are well and one does not sense or realize that they are well, then he cannot be happy. And when things are not well and one feels or senses that they are well, then his happiness can't last forever. Let me say that again. If one, if things are well, and one does not sense that things are well, or realize that things are well, then he cannot be happy. And if things are not well, and he feels like they are well, that they are all right, then his happiness cannot last forever, nor can it be genuine. And so there must be both a state of predominant well-being and a sense of predominant well-being for true happiness to exist. And I use the word predominant state of well-being because we can't fall into the trap of demanding that everything be in accord with our wishes and our desires because everything will never be in accord with our wishes and desires. And if we're waiting until everything is all right before we can be happy, we never will be happy. We got to figure out how to be happy no matter what the circumstances that surround us are. Not even God promises that everything is going to be all right in the life of his children. Predominant means that in the important vital areas of life, things are well. And the good outweighs the bad. Well, you look over toward your neighbor and say, neighbor, I just thought I'd let you know that the good in your life outweighs the bad. Turn to the neighbor on the other side and tell that neighbor, the good in my life outweighs the bad. Things could be worse in my life. Come on, clap your hands and praise the Lord. And 
then somebody might say, well, preacher, now I don't quite, quite understand what you're trying to tell me, but let me give you three illustrations of the kind of happiness that I'm talking about. I find the first illustration in the writings of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11. Philippians 4 and 11. Turn to Philippians 4 and 11 where Paul says, I've learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And Paul here is not focusing on great and miraculous feats performed uh, in, in, by the believer through Christ. He's saying, listen, I can endure all things and I can be content and happy in the midst of all kinds of trouble and in the midst of all kind of deprivation. Paul says, I can do all things. I can endure all things through Christ. The predominant factor in my life enables me to be happy no matter what my situation may be. Down, up, full, hungry, needy, with my needs provided for, I can endure every situation through Christ that strengthens me. Have you ever had something in your life that was so exciting, so wonderful, so good that it outweighed all the bad things that were happening in your life? And that's the way Jesus is. When Jesus is in your life, no matter what you are enduring, no matter what you're going through, there is a strategy, there is a way that you in Christ can say, it's all right, I can make it. I can endure this. Come on and clap your hands. Predominant state predominant state. I've got Jesus. He makes things predominantly well. As long as I've got him, I can make it. Hallelujah. With Christ in his life, Paul always had a sense of predominant well-being. In Philippians 3 and 8, Paul said, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whom I've suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him. Paul put a proper evaluation on everything that was in his life. And he said, listen, if I've got Jesus in my life, I've got the most valuable thing that can be had. I've got that thing that's going to carry me not only through this life, but also through all eternity. Amen. Uh, could you endure trouble and distress for a couple of weeks if you knew that there were $15 billion waiting on you at the end of that second week? Couldn't you kind of endure it? Yeah, 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 it's rough, but I got $15 billion on the way. And, and when I get my $15 billion, I'm going to be cool. I'm going to be all right. I know, yeah, go ahead. Talk about me. Lie on me. Stomp on me. Uh, if I can just live through these two weeks, and matter of fact, you would smile all through those two weeks. Hit me with your best shot. Two weeks, it's going to be okay. $15 billion on the way. And you just set your sights on that $15 billion, you could take it. Could you take it? If you could take it, raise your hand and tell me you could take it. 
Well, look here, believer. You're going through trouble and distress right now. But listen, when you leave this earth throughout all eternity, you are fixed. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. On our way to heaven. That's what we used to say, on my way to heaven. And I'm so glad. Amen. The world can't do me any harm. You've got an eternity of joy waiting on you. Paul said, I can take it. I'll count everything but done that I may win Christ. Second illustration of this kind of happiness is found in the Beatitudes spoken by Jesus. Matthew 5 and 1. And, and this word that we're saying blessed is just another word for happy. And, and Matthew 5 and 1 says, when Jesus saw the vast crowds, he went up the hillside, and after he had sat down with his disciples, his disciples came to him, I beg your pardon, and he began his teaching by saying to them, how happy or blessed are those who know their need of God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How happy are those who know what sorrow means, for they will be given courage. Happy are those who claim nothing, for the whole earth will belong to them. Happy are those who are hungry and thirsty for true goodness, for they will be truly satisfied. Happy are the merciful, for they will have mercy shown unto them. Happy are the utterly sincere, for they will see God. Happy are those who make peace, for they will be known as sons and daughters of God. Happy are those who have suffered persecution for the cause of goodness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And what happiness will be yours when people blame you and ill-treat you and say all manner of slanderous things against you for my sake? Be glad then and rejoice. Oh, come on, clap your hands. For your reward in heaven is magnificent. Hallelujah. They persecuted the prophets before your time in exactly the same way. And so for every problem, he lays on the other side a blessing. For every area of ill fortune, he lays along beside it an area of good fortune. And says, yes, I know you're going through this, but... God has something better for you. I know the load is heavy, but God is going to turn this thing around in your life. And whenever you have anticipation and hope, your heart is filled and lifted with joy, and you cannot be in despair. Would you let's take a moment and clap your hands and give praise to God. And then the third illustration of this kind of happiness is found in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 26 where a woman who had experienced what men would call a tragedy. But then when asked about her plight, she said, it is well. God had given her a son in her whole age. In her old age, she had born a child and she had been barren before that time. And when God gave her the son, a few months later, that son died. And she went to the prophet and the prophet said, is everything all right? And she said, it's all right. It's all right. 
Then the prophet inquired of her father and she began to explain to him that her son had died. The son that the Lord had given her had died. But she said, it's all right. I'm not going to complain. I'm, I'm going to express faith. I'm going to have hope. And I've come to the man of God because if the man of God prayed and God gave me the child in the first place, the man of God can pray again and God will give me my child back. And so by faith, she said, it's all right. She was one of those hallelujah anyhow people who believed that God was somehow going to bring it out, that God was going to set it straight. And we need some hallelujah anyhow folk in the house on today who say, no, things are not like they should be, but I've got enough faith to believe that God is going to set things right in my life. I'm going to praise him anyhow. I'm not going to complain because he didn't have to give me the child in the first place. I, I, I'm glad to have enjoyed the life of the child and to have had the child with me. And if that's what God's going to do, it's all right. But I believe God can turn this thing around. And lo and behold, just a few hours later, she was walking, holding her live child in her arms because God turned it around. Or oh, would you tell two people God can turn it around? It is well. And the words of this woman encourage the songwriter to write, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. Habakkuk said, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vine, nor the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock will be cut off in the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stall. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Now listen, any kind of way I can find to be happy when everything is going wrong is something I want to know about because if I can be happy when everything is going wrong, when things are right, I can praise him. I can rejoice. I can walk in the power of the Lord under all circumstances. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Before we deal with the text, and I'm not going to preach too long today, let us observe that God being the creator has the right to tell us how to live on this earth. Will you look toward your neighbor and tell your neighbor, God being the creator has a right to tell us how to live on this earth. And not only does God have a right to tell us how to live, he has a right to punish us when we disobey his will. And God who made us understands us and it is aware of the principles that make for our happiness. You don't give a baby everything that baby wants because you know some of the things that that baby wants is not only not going to make the baby happy, but it's going to hurt and injure the baby. And so you give the baby what you know the baby needs and giving the baby what the baby needs sometimes will make the baby happy. Are you with me? God being all wise and knowing the future is alone qualified to plot the correct and best course for our lives. God being all wise and knowing the future is alone qualified to plot the best course for our lives. And so what we need to say, Lord, is not my will, 
but thy will be done. But here's one you really need to hear. The God who made us loves us and wants us to be happy. God does not want you walking on the face of the earth with your head hanging low and depression and sorrow in your heart and in your mind. God wants you to be happy. And because of this, God has given us this first psalm, psalm number one, to tell us how to find happiness. And a literal translation of the first verse would be, oh, the happiness of the man. Oh, the happiness of the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. It mentions here three kinds of sinners and three possible relationships with those three kinds of sinners. He says, number one, there's the ungodly. Those who are not for God are against God. Those who are not living in a godly manner, those who do not entertain God in their hearts or in their minds, they're not killing folk and robbing banks and, 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 and laying flat out drunk on the street. They just don't care anything about God. And you know there are a whole lot of nice folk on the earth who don't care anything about God. I mean, they're enjoyable to be around. They take care of their children, their families, but they have no God orientation. They have no love for God. Those are the ungodly. But then you have uh, another group. Now, stands in the path of sinners, those who practice sin, those who could be characterized as sinners because of the frequent occurrence of sin in their lives. And the main sin is that they reject the will and the plan of God for their lives. And so you don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You don't stand in the path of sinners and uh, sits in the seat of the scornful. And the scornful are not only the ones who practice sin, but aggressively proclaim their aversion to God and their cynicism about righteousness and about righteous people. They are cynical. They are scornful. They've always got something negative to say, always something bad to say. This is why we need to watch what we say as saints and as believers because we can love the Lord and love the Lord's way and have such a bad attitude that the Lord will put us in a category made up of sinners because cynical, scornful, negative folk are not pleasing in the eyes of God. Amen. Look at your name and say, analyze your conversation. Man, if you're saying 75% negative, scornful folk stuff, then you're scornful. Amen. A saint that loves God ought to be positive about folk. Clap your hands and give praise to God. Mm -hmm. Each kind of sinner is progressively worse. Ungodly is bad enough, but sinner is worse. And scornful is worse than even the other two. But then there are three relationships that are mentioned to these folk. Number one, walking. Walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And walking at least implies that you may one day ultimately walk away from them. At least you're on the move. Even though you shouldn't be walking with them in the first place, at least you're, you're moving and you have not established and stabilized yourself in, in your position. But listen, if you walk with them long enough, you're going to be sitting with them. 
Uh-huh, uh-huh. And you're going to be standing with them too. Uh, and so, just don't walk with ungodly folk. Tell them, hi, how you doing? I love you. God bless you. See you later. Amen. Thanks for calling. Glad to talk to you. In the Lord good. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You start talking about God and Jesus to ungodly folk, they'll get off the phone and go on about their business. I'm happy in Jesus. I love him. He's wonderful. I'm glad to be saved. Either they'll get saved or get out of there. Amen. But they'll have an impact on your mind. They'll have you reluctant about saying things that would offend them, that would upset them. Well, I know they don't know. They're of another faith. They don't believe what I believe. And so I don't talk about my faith in their presence. Listen, anybody in whose presence you can't talk about your faith, you don't need to be in their presence. Because if you don't change them, they are going to change you. Uh-huh, not, not walking in the counsel of the ungodly, not standing in the path of sinners. Standing implies more permanence, that you're giving a great amount of your attention to the sinful influence. You've stopped uh, to talk to them. You've, talk, you've stopped to have an interchange with them. You've stopped to, to be in their presence. And while you are stopping and standing in their presence, that means you can't be in the presence of godly people who love the Lord, who are filled with the Holy Ghost, and who are going higher and higher. You're, you're not developing yourself. There's nothing being input into your life that will help your spiritual life. I need folk around me who will encourage me. I need folk around me who will lift my spirit. I need folk around me who will help me love the Lord more and serve the Lord more faithfully. Are you with me on today? So don't stand there. And then he said, now sits in the seat of the scornful. Sitting implies a determination to remain in that situation. When you sit down, you're saying, this is where I'm going to be. This is where I want to be. I'm going to hang out with the scornful folk. And listen, you can't walk with, the God, with God and with the devil at the same time. Choose you this day whom you will serve. <clears throat> and so the devil carries us from one level to a lower level. He gradually entangles us more and more and more in the web of sin. And so the message of the Bible here and in many other scriptures is that we need to find the companionship of folk who love God and avoid the companionship of those who don't love the Lord and of those who don't know the Lord. Listen to Paul, Romans 16 and 17. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you've learned and keep away from them. Keep away from them. That's what the Bible says. That's not what Bishop Blake says. That's what the Bible says. If folk are not walking right, don't love the Lord, are causing division, keep away from them. Well, Let's hear Paul again in 1 Corinthians 5 and 11. And now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler with such a man not even to eat. Quiet in here. Help me, Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 15 and 33. 
Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Ah. Bad company corrupts good character. And then Amos 3, 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? If you're not running head on into the devil, you're walking in the devil's direction. And you never have a collision with somebody when you're going in the same direction that they're going. Well, I just thought I'd read the word. Is it all right to read the word? The happy man, the blessed man, avoids not only evil people, but he also avoids evil. He avoids wickedness because a person involved in evil cannot be happy. Can I say it again? A person who's living wrong cannot be happy. Why not, preacher? Well, number one, sin condemns your conscience. That's that little voice telling inside you, you're wrong. You're not doing right. Not walking in the way of the Lord. And as long as that voice is talking to you, that voice will never let you rest. And you'll never have real happiness. The voice doesn't make an appointment, doesn't apply for an interview, doesn't let you alone day, night. You might try to get drunk or high and, and sedate yourself so that you can't hear it anymore and, 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 and stagger so drunk that voice say, you're still wrong. <laughs> oh yeah. No way to hush it. No way to turn it away. Oh yeah. No matter, you might try to drown it out, but it'll get louder and say you're still wrong. Not only is it the voice of guilt that overwhelms you and terrifies you, it handicaps you. Listen, you cannot be your best person living in sin. You, 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 you're handicapped. You're handicapped financially. You're, you're handicapped in your career. You're handicapped in your family life. You're handicapped in your relationships when sin is in your life because sin always drags you away from your best. And it dominates your life in an inappropriate way and while you should be doing right and climbing higher there you are involved in what is wrong and it handicaps you sin separates you from God and it's in God that we live it's in God that we move it's in God that we have our being and anything that hinders and handicaps your relationship with God will cut off the blessings of God in your life anybody want to be blessed you got to be blessed through God and by the power of of Almighty God. And then sin dehumanizes and destroys you because God did not make you for sin. God made you for righteousness. He made you for himself and you never become your best self until you walk in the way of the best God in the universe. Clap your hands and give praise to God. Hallelujah. But happiness is more than what you don't do. Happiness is what you do. Happiness is the way you live. Happiness are those things that are positively in your life. And positively in the text, the text says, listen, the happy man, is his delight is in the law of God. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Listen, if you want to be blessed, meditate on the law of God 
delight in the law of God and do it both day and night. And sometimes it's easier to do it during the day. Everybody's watching anyway. You're all out and exposed. You're busy. You, you, you're involved in, in, in working. You're involved in getting from here to there. You're involved in taking care of children, taking care of family. So it's easier to delight in the law of God during the day than it is at night. Night is the devil's territory. The devil goes on the ride at night. He talks to you at night in a way that he does not talk to you during the day. Uh, the devil's servants are all available, inviting you to consort with him. And, and during the night, you're, you're awake, you're laying there doing nothing. And, and your mind is going here, there, and everywhere. But the Bible says, if you want to be blessed, delight in the law of God, not only during the day, but delight in the night. When the devil is talking tonight, in the night when the devil's servants are calling you up. Delight in the night when you're weak and your resistance is down. Just grab God's word and start reading God's word. Your word is a light under my feet and a lamp under my pathway. Your word gives me strength. Your word gives me life. Delight in the law of the Lord both night and day. And God's word is more than a list of do's and a list of don'ts. God's word is the revelation of the mind of God. The Bible explains life from God's perspective. The Bible is God's treasure house. The Bible is God's map revealing the way to find the pearl of great cost. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine and for reproof and for correction and for instruction in righteousness. And the Bible says for what things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope and life and happiness. And so the word of God is what you need to find happiness in this life. And the psalmist said, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. If you love the word, clap your hands and give praise to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Don't depend on your wisdom. God's wisdom is as high above ours as are the heavens above the earth. And so we've got to say, not my will, but thy will be done. I love your word. I delight in your word. Listen, if there were a map that could show you the way to great treasure, would you not delight in that map? Well, this word of God not only shows us the way to great happiness on the earth, but to eternal life in the world to come, and we ought to be glad about the word. Come on and thank God for the word. Thank God. Hallelujah. It's as if we were lost in a strange city, and someone gave us a map that would help us to find our way. How joyous we would be to find a map. And God has given us a wonderful map to take us all the way from earth unto glory. And so God's Son, God's Word, God's Holy Spirit are provisions of the love of God. And because He loved us, God does not want us to wander aimlessly on the face of this earth. Listen, God who created the earth, God who created you will provide for you the best road, the best pathway from earth to glory. 
how to navigate the complexities of life on this earth. And so you ought to love the word. And if you have access to the word, and if you hear the word, you are blessed and you have every element that's necessary for happiness. And he said, listen, this man shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Somebody ought to say praise the Lord. You'll be like a tree. Well, what is a tree like? A tree is like gradual development. Everybody say that, gradual development. You don't get a tree overnight. You might get a mushroom, but not a tree because a tree gradually develops. And some of us want to get to our destination at the snap of a finger. We want to enjoy everything at the snap of a finger. We don't want to go through any changes, any trials, any tribulations. But a tree gradually develops. It keeps on growing when the storm is raging, when the wind is blowing, when the rain is falling, when there's no rain. It just keeps on growing. And that's God's will for you. God wants you to develop and to grow. And he realizes that your growth, if it's to be stable, is going to have to be gradual growth. This is why you need to keep on holding on. Keep on seeking the Lord. Keep on praying. Keep on holding on to God. No matter what you endure, keep on seeking the more and more of God. Because it may take time, but even the youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Hallelujah! They'll mount up on wings just like an eagle. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Child of God, just because it doesn't happen yesterday, don't you give up. Tell two people, don't you give up. Hallelujah. Gradual, gradual development. But then beyond that, permanence, longevity, long life. It's what characterizes a tree. Trees are among the oldest forms of life on the face of the earth. Nothing lives as long as a tree on the earth. There are trees that are thousands of years in age on the earth right now. And that's what God has in mind for you. He says you're going to be like a tree, not only because you gradually develop but you're going to be like a tree because I'm going to give you permanence. Nothing is going to shake you. Nothing is going to move you. Nothing is going to destroy you. Wouldn't you be happy if you knew that whatever you're going through, you're going to live through it. And I've just come by to tell somebody you're going through something tough. Folk have told lies on you and they put rumors out on you. 
but you're going to live through it. Would you tell your neighbor you're going to live through it? Yes, yes, like a tree, like a tree. Gradual development, longevity, but outgoing benefits. Say that after me, outgoing benefits. The tree is a source of fruit. The tree is a source of nourishment. A tree is a source of habitation for the birds. A tree brings forth fruit. It brings forth nuts. It brings forth that which the animals of the field can desire. And you never hear a tree complaining because somebody picks its fruit. It says, that's what I'm here for. If folk are around you, receiving from you, that's what God had in mind for your life because you'll have not only enough for yourself, but enough for everybody else. Hallelujah. You're a source. You're a blessing. You're a miracle. Don't get discouraged. Don't feel low. God blessed you to be a blessing. It might seem that somebody's taking advantage of you, but walk on by faith and tell your neighbor, I'm a tree, I'm a tree, I'm a tree. When you think about a tree, you think about unseen benefits, unseen benefits. Say that unseen benefits because you can see the tree. You can see its leaves. You can see its limbs, but you can't see its roots. And you wonder how it's making it, how it's surviving, how it's overcoming. But the tree says, don't worry about it. I might not be getting anything above the ground, but under the ground, there's a stream that's feeding me, building me higher. Folk may try to cut you off. They may try to deprive you, but you've got unseen benefits. You're reaching way down into the reservoir of God's power. And God is your refuge. God is your strength. God is a very present help in the time of trouble. Hallelujah. You shall be like a tree planted. You didn't get where you are accidentally God planted you there and if God planted you there God's gonna bless you there if God put you there I see you growing higher higher don't worry about your situation God knows where you are and God will take care of you oh oh yes he will I've got to stop, I've got to stop, but it goes on down and says whatever he does is going to prosper. And I've come by to tell you that if you put your hand in the hand of God, God will bring prosperity into your life. And so it's going to be all right. I said it's going to be all right. In the name of Jesus, stand up and praise Him. 
Hallelujah.